Now we're going to read some scriptures. Uh, the first you'll find in the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 9. Verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, he is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea, even to sea and from the river even to the ends of the to the end of the earth. Now uh, that I think we'll do for reading there. Now I want to go into the New Testament. We shall we shall read in first of all in first Corinthians chapter fifteen. First Corinthians 15, and I don't want to read all the paragraph, but there is a, a verse, uh, verse 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Now, uh, you notice that verse 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject. Now verse 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak to your shame. Now I think we shall read a little now in the third chapter of Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter three and uh, verse uh, ten. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burnt up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And now verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And verse 18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and ever. <clears throat> now, as most of you know, we're trying to speak a little, a very humble little word, on the subject of the will of God for this earth in which we live. You know, it's marvelous to think of what is in their Bible relative to earth as part of, we have been speaking a great bit of the other side of things, the spiritual side of things, but we want tonight just to come down to earth and have a look at things here below. Now, the word earth, as you would know in your Bible, is used in different ways. Perhaps about maybe four or five different senses is given to it. For instance, it's quite often used in contrast to heaven, earth and heaven. Now, that's one way you can speak about the earth. It's distinct from heaven, heaven above and earth below. And then, again, it's used in your Bible to distinguish between sea and land. Because the earth came up out of the sea, as you know, and that was earth and land. But one of the strangest ways that it's used, and you can't deny it, and that is the earth was of one uh, language and one speech. And it's not referring to the land, and it's not referring to the mountains or anything like that. It's referring to the people on the earth. So we have to see that side of things. And then there's another way that it's used in your Bible, and you all know it full well, 
And that is when you think of making earthly vessels and so on, a vessel of earth and so on. Uh, maybe clay would be maybe the one that we would use mostly in those lines, but those are some of the ways in which the word earth is uh, used. You see, if we go just for a second, uh, let our minds work. And God has made the whole universe and all those bodies that float about that we know so little about. And yet there's one part of his creation that has special interest to the Almighty. And that's what we call earth, or what the Bible calls earth. There's special interest. Oh, but you say, I thought heaven was of special interest to the Almighty. That's perfectly true. That's his throne. But you see, earth is his footstool. But I think of all the orbs that float around, and it's marvelous for some of you men that have intelligence to follow these things and think about them. It's wonderful to think that as far as the Bible is concerned, it is a great it has much more to say about seas below than it has even of seas above. When you're given addresses, I tried it once, and we're going to think to give a week on, on, on heaven, you'd find it difficult enough to get material from your Bible to describe heaven. Whereas when it comes to speaking on earth, it's well to think of what God has in mind for this particular part of his creation. Now you all know too well, without me emphasizing it on Julie, that the earth has been a scene, it has been a platform on which Almighty God has revealed himself in a way that he has not done on any part of his creation. hope we can appreciate that. That is, God has revealed himself. Now, always remember that God's great intention, God's great will or purpose, is a revelation of himself, whether it's in redemption or in creation or whatever it be. The eternal God is a God who wants to make himself known. And, of course, as you can easily see, the greatest advancement that you can make as a child of God is to increase in your knowledge of God. Because that's what exactly Peter closes his epistle with, that we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So now let us get this one thing into our, scored into our little mind, that God has a revelation of himself on the earth. And then he would expect you and me to develop in our apprehension of that, in our comprehension of that, in our appreciation of it. And so we develop in our knowledge, just as God has revealed it to us. Now, you, you can easily see that the biggest matter that we have to face is this, that the very place where God has most revealed himself is the place where everything has been done that's totally contrary to his will. And that to me is a marvel. You would have expected the platform on which God would be displayed to be full of perfection and so on. Now, as far as the making of it was concerned, there was no deficiencies there. The living God, he, 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 he swung it into space. And he, you know, in those five, in those six days, he, he left everything in proper condition and in proper order. And he began with light and he went on right through until he has made man. And the greatest object that he had put on earth was man. And he made him as a king, for he gave him dominion over the whole world. Everything was beneath him. He was moving around the garden, not as a mere gardener as some would imagine, but as monarch of all that he surveyed. And yet that's the very man that fell. Now I want you to underscore in your mind that is a serious thing for a man who is a ruler to fall. Now, a fall is a serious thing for any of us. But if a man's a leading man and a, and a ruler, his fall is more tragic. Why? Because Adam's fall brought other, others down with him. And from that day to this, there never has been a fall of a leading light amongst God's people who has come down himself, but he has brought others down with him. Now, this is a very witty lesson. Learn it, dear child of God, as best you can. But while it's a great honor to be put into responsibility by the Almighty God, and Adam wasn't merely a man that climbed the ladder and gained perfection or gained his position by some attainments that he had made, 
but he was made by the living God and put into his high position. So that if he fell, it wasn't because he just climbed into a position he wasn't meant to fill. But what I do want to stress is this. Look at the sad consequences. Now you could bring that down into assembly life, you know. And you could bring it into many a place where there's a leading man if he falls. He can bring and do a lot of damage with all around him. Now this is a weighty lesson for my heart. I hope it's a lesson for yours. We all need to remember this, that in our responsibilities, we not only maybe fail ourselves, but we hurt others in the fall. I would say then, that apart from the great beginning of creation that I've already hinted at, the first big event in the world on the earth's experience was to have its monarch turned into a slave. Its king had lost his crown, and that was the beginning. Now, right along the days of earth, now listen over carefully, there has been definite experiences that this earth has had that are not just ordinary, they were extraordinary. I suppose immediately you'd think of that, your mind would turn to the flood. Now, the flood was a very distinct experience for the earth to have. God had looked upon the earth and it had become corrupt. Now, it wasn't that the soil was corrupt. Don't misunderstand your Bible. When God speaks of the earth being corrupt, he means the people on it. He means the inhabitants of it. They had corrupted the whole scene and God says, there it is, it's all defiled. I'll have to wipe it clean. And he allowed the great deluge to come that you've read about so often. The greatest event, I suppose, from creation until today as far as the conditions of the earth were concerned. Now, it didn't mean that God dissolved the ball, but it meant that he cleaned the surface of it. And he did it by water. And he killed every living thing, except those who were rescued in the ark. You've heard it preached in the gospel. I don't need to go into the details. Now, that was a big day in the world's history, a very vital day. Perhaps the next big day in the world's history and the earth's history was this, when the living God came down to Mount Sinai and scored into the stone the Ten Commandments, that are ten words as they're called. And that was the flaming fire and so on at Mount Sinai. I know you mightn't think that was important, but I judge that the earth had never seen the like before. And I judge the earth will never see the like again. God himself descending upon the earth and coming down to actually write with his finger. And I'm sure all of you have connected the, the law being written by the finger of God with the Lord stooping on the ground and writing with his finger. One writing the law and the other a story of grace. You've all connected the two, I'm sure. With the finger of God, he wrote on those stones. So that, you see, God gave now listen very thoughtfully as best you can. A further revelation of himself. In the deluge we learn the dreadfulness of God's judgment, the holy character of the Almighty, and the awfulness of living in sin and corrupting the scene that God had created. We can see that. But in the giving of the law, God revealed his righteous character in another sense and showed the standard of his righteousness. Now the law didn't save anybody. You all know that too well. And it's not a question of something that you could keep and then become redeemed or anything like that. We know right well that the earth had to learn, and God in his will now, this is his purpose being fulfilled for the earth. He has now left the earth that there's no excuse for man not knowing what God designed, uh, what God desires for him. Then again, of course, you have the... Of course, I might have mentioned the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and so on. We could go in those little points, but we don't want to touch the smaller things. We want to touch the bigger things. And if we jump along and don't take too much detail at all in our minds, we'll have to come to the greatest of all wonders. I don't know whether we can take it in or not. But one of the persons of the Godhead came to earth. 
We've thought about it so often, perhaps the wonder of it has lost it. Well, we lost it. Can hardly take it in that one of those whose abode was eternal bliss and glory would take on a human body and would appear upon earth. Listen, dear soul. I, I, I get a wee bit excited at times, but bear with me now if I get a wee bit excited. The living God looking down into a corrupt world and seeing the choicest object as I ever beheld and seeing that object on earth, his own son. We've sung it for a lifetime, haven't we? Down from the glory the Saviour came. Yes, we have sung it and thought about it. And we have looked at Bethlehem and we have thought about it. The wonders of mar- marvel. And not only did he come to earth. Now he had come down in Mount Sinai. But he not only had come to earth, but he had come to share humanity. That very creature's humanity. Now don't be thinking I'm going to indicate that he was a fallen creature or anything like that. You know I don't believe any of those things. But to, to be linked with human flesh. And to live on earth as a real man, depending daily upon his God, praying and pleading and sweating and toiling and laboring. I hope the wonder of it will never leave our minds. I hope we never get used to thinking about it. You see, the earth had an experience that even heaven hadn't. At least it had it before heaven had it. Now heaven has it, heaven has it now. For heaven has that same man upon the throne, as you all know. But then again, let us get a hold of the wonder. One of the persons of the Godhead, in human form, uh, sleeping and eating and walking and toiling, living on earth and praying and depending upon his God as a true man here below. I hope I believe that. And that's one of the wonders. That was God's plan. Now, will you listen for a second? I hope you haven't forgotten what I started with. God making himself known. God revealing himself to creatures. God demonstrating to the angelic hosts himself in a wonderful way. Not only is he displaying his mighty power and his majesty and glory, but he's displaying in a wonderful way the wonderful thoughts of his heart and the great plan of redemption and all that that entails. God sending forth his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And can we go to a bigger wonder? Can you really believe it tonight? That this earth that God created, this scene that God has brought about, this part of his great creation, it has something that no other part of it will ever have. It has been stained with the blood of his own son. It has been a scene where the Lamb of God, the Son of God, was nailed on a cruel cross. And men looked at God's only son and said, If thou be the Son of God, come down. And he was nailed upon a tree. I hope the wonder hasn't left us. I hope we're still amazed at that. You see, this is God's great plan for the earth. Now that means to say that earth has a a place in the thoughts of eternal God that no other part of the, the creation apart from heaven has in his mind. I hope we're clear on that. Don't let us get away from that. Because that will help you in a whole lot of these old problems that these scientists would would bring to your mind and so on. That will help you to to, to solve a whole lot of problems. You can say to yourself, well, whatever happens, then we talk about the world going away in a bang and someone thinks it's coming a bang and all that old nonsense, we're not so silly. But they'll, they'll talk about this and that and the other. Don't you forget there's a scene here below that has a special interest to the eternal God. Special interest. And it was a great day in the wonder workings of the Almighty when his son was nailed on a cross and died and hung upon a tree. I hope we appreciate it. 
I know when we're preaching the gospel or we're teaching saints, I know we say, yes, we bow before them. We can see far more in it than just something happening on earth or just a big earthly event. I'm only dealing with it because of the subject that's in mind for the meeting. We know right well we can creep beside him as a worm and say it was for me. Yes, all for me. O oh, love of God, so great, so free. O oh, wondrous love, I shout and sing. He died for me, my Lord, the King. Now, has God finished with earth? Is that all he has in mind? Has his will any further advancements? Has it? Maybe you should think about that. You see, this scene that we're in, God intends us to understand that the ground we're walking on is ground that he has an appreciation of and he has an interest in it and he has plans for it. You know, sometimes those men they pay, pay big prices for we but it's on nowadays. <laughs> when I was a wee fella, you know, you'd have told somebody you're getting a million for a field. They would hardly believe the actor says on his head case would say, think of that like of that. However, you all know right well. But the real thought behind those big prices for land is they have a pl- plan in mind. They have, they have a scheme in, in view. They're not just throwing millions down, a million down the drain for, for the sake of just getting rid of it. Oh no, they have a plan ahead. And the living God has seen a mighty price been paid. And that price of redemption, remember, that has bought our souls and we adore him for doing it. Remember, that is also a redemption for creation. That is God's demands being met in every sense. So that God is not only going to purge sinners, but he's going to purge the very earth in which sinners have done. And he has that in view. Now, you will notice, don't you, that I started the meeting, I think I did as best I could, at showing you that a man had dominion at the beginning. That was true. And don't forget, God doesn't drop his purposes because of human failure. That doesn't annoy the Almighty. And God is still determined that a man will have dominion. For Hebrews 2 makes it absolutely clear that he has not put the world to come under angelic power. But he has decided that a man shall reign. And we just read one verse. We could have read several others in Psalms and so on. But we just read one verse from the, uh, the prophecy of Zechariah to indicate that God's great plan for this earth is that the king, and he'll be a man, and he'll rule, rule over the earth. And his kingdom stretched from shore to shore till moon shall wax and wane no more. And it will rain from the river to the ends of the earth. And wherever way you like to word it, or wherever passages you turn to, his dominion shall be an everlasting dominion. Now you know right well, without me telling you, that already Christ is crowned in glory. Hebrews 2 makes that clear. For we see Jesus uh, made a little lower than the angels with a view to the suffering of death, and he's now crowned with glory and honor. That's what he has now. But you see, the world has still rejected him. And the world hasn't given him his rightful place. But the world yet will see the one that they crucified and set away with. They'll see him reigning in majesty and glory. That's God's will and God's purpose. And there's nothing that's worth that. You see, what are you talking about all that for? What has that to do with us? You see, if I learned a lesson from Adam and his fall that he brought others down with him, I can learn this great lesson from our blessed Lord, that if he's now rejected, we have taken sides with him. And because he's rejected, we don't seek any honors in this world. How would we want a high place in the world that he's despised in? How would we ever want to be honored where our our blessed Lord, who has done so much for us, was disowned, was cast out, are we ashamed to bear his reproach? Are we getting to think that the world is our friend? For the Bible makes it clear. Our friendship with the world is enmity with God. So that these things that have happened to our blessed Lord are not just merely historical facts. 
There are principles that bring home to our hearts that we are expected to share with Christ in his rejection. Isn't it well to see now that in Hebrews 2, where I've just been quoting, where our Lord is destined to be the ruler of the earth in a coming day. Isn't it nice to see that at the end of that epistle, that it says, Let us go forth there to Therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Because just earlier he has said Jesus suffered without the gate. And he suffered without the gate. He was put out. And we're linked up with him. And therefore, it's no, it's no, there's no question involved in it. We are, take the place of rejection that he already has been given. So the world, look, now listen carefully. If the world has rejected the one that has saved us, it would be a total shame for us not to share rejection with him and go along with him until the world has changed, as we'll see in a short time. Now you notice, dear souls, that we have got a length this. That would bring us to, to think of this, that the day is coming when this earth will know what it is to have a rightful ruler at its head. Now, all the talk that you hear, and you've read about it in your summary, but I don't know whether you understand it all or not, and, and what you should do this and what you should do that, and should you say yes or should you say no to agreements and all this sort of stuff. Don't you get carried away with these things, dear friend. God is not for democracy. That will frighten you. Democracy is never God's intention. The king will be an autocrat. One ruler over men. God began that with Adam. And he has found it answered in Christ. And the world says, oh, we must have the people. And the people must have their say. And the people must do this. And the people must decide this. And the people, it's all democracy. Our greatest democracy. Totally contrary to all that was in the plan of God. So we don't touch it. We leave it alone because it's not in our program. It's God's intention that one man, the glorious person of his own son, will have come dominion from sea to sea and will sway the scepter in every corner. I hope we then, you say, well, what, what's that to do with me as a Christian? Well, I hope it taught you, taught you your place of separation from all that's political. I hope you know that bit. But it teaches you another lesson. And a very solemn lesson. Now, you young Christians, listen to it. That the one who's destined to rule the world, he's your Lord. And he's to be obeyed above everything else. It's what the Lord wills that I ought to be doing. I have no other allegiance. I threw in my lot to bow to the sway of the Almighty Saviour, and I bow to his will. And we're singing it, weren't we, the other night here. We can't give out the same hymns every night. And sometimes there's not too much in the hymn book for these line of ministry because I don't think anybody ever thought of writing hymns that were suited. And I've been in great difficulty even finding a hymn at all that would suit these, the line of thought that's in our mind. But I do want the believers in this company to realize this, that the one who's going to rule the earth in a future day, he's your Lord. And you're in his kingdom. And you're expected to be submissive to his authority. Now we quoted it, didn't we, the other night, and we still keep at it. Paul's language, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that should be the innermost thought of every soul, bowing to the Lordship of Christ, owning his authority. He's the king of our lives. He's the controller of everything. He swears the scepter with us. His word's final. He settles everything. Submission to the Lordship of Christ. And remember, in the coming kingdom, there'll be those who will dare to resent his power. And they will dare to oppose him, but they'll be defeated, because he will be master. Now you will notice that he put down all dominion, and all power, and authority, 
all this corrupt idea that's in the world in its present form and all these different countries and their type of rule and so on. The king of kings comes and put it all down. Not right. Not of God. It's not according to the will of God. It's not God's purpose that men should rule by by numbers and by just count of heads. Then again... It will be wonderful. Now listen very carefully. When the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's not just merely that the Lord will take up his kingdom and establish authority. He'll do that. And he'll put down all unrighteousness and he'll judge all that is wrong. Now think it over very carefully. Because, you see, before that kingdom is fully established, he will have what never was on earth before. A judge sitting on the bench, who's none less than God manifest in flesh, his God's only son, sitting upon the bench and judging the nations. And I hope you believe in that. But you see, is that not a good way through? No, it's not. Those are living people that never have died. And they'll be dealt with and judged by the Lord just on earth. I tell you, that'll be a high court, won't it? That'll be some scenes of judgment. So that the Matthew makes it perfectly clear that he will separate men and those who are fit for the kingdom will go into it. I take it that the kingdom will be established with nothing but righteousness and those who... And those who are not fit and who are unrighteous will be sent to the lake of fire directly and will not, I judge, be at the great white throne. That'll keep these bigger men. Here's something to think about. Uh, they'll not be at the great white throne. I don't think they'll appear before the same judge to be sentenced or resentenced. It says, They shall go away into everlasting punishment and the righteous into life eternal. I hope you got a hold of that. Have you grasped it? The one who hung upon the cross will sit upon a throne on earth and set up a kingdom and judge evil and then establish righteousness and it will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Spreading to every corner. Just think of it. Some of you likely, you've traveled a good bit more than your forefathers because of air travel and so on. And maybe there are times you're thinking, wondering what it's like to go to certain countries. Would it be safe there? And you'd wonder maybe at times, would I, would it, well, what sort of people are they? Savages there. What, what, what would they do on me? Maybe they'll steal all that I have and leave me with nothing. And you'd be a wee bit afraid. You see, in that coming kingdom, it won't matter where you go. The rule will be majestic and the rule will be powerful. And that is God's intention, that the world will be ruled. And evil will be put down and righteousness will be established because that's the only rule that is worth thinking about. Then again, dear friend, God hasn't finished with the earth yet. In all this wonderful program, he lets us know. Now, I hope you've always re- read very thoughtfully that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. That's what we would call a little parenthesis in the middle of the resurrection story of the, the, the story of the resurrection of the, of the body. Oh, you say, what about it? I thought, well, that would be the big thing. Yes, but in the middle of that, the writer breaks off his story and for a, 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 a little piece, he gives us an insight into the wonderful program that the Almighty has in mind. And he lets us know that this wonderful person will have to reign until all enemies are beneath his feet. And he will be ruling from one end of the world to the other. And then you read those rather strange words, that when that rule has accomplished God's will and purpose for it, he will deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father. That is, he'll hand back the kingdom, just as God expected it to be, in perfect righteousness to God. 
And as he hands back the kingdom, he can say, just as he said when the cross was over, it is finished. He'll be able to say, now, my, uh, my time of reigning is over. My dominion has come to an end. In that sense, not that his kingdom comes to an end. Don't misunderstand your Bible. His kingdom's an everlasting kingdom. But in that particular uh, aspect of it, for he is domineering and he is controlling everything, uh, that has come to an end. And he hands it back to the Father. And that leads us, of course, as you all know, there are three apostles in the New Testament who land us in the eternal state in our thinking. The eternal state. So that when you're dealing with the passage in, in, in Corinthians, he says, yes, he deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father. And then he will, it'll be God, will be all in all. Not as the triune God, not excluding the Son, you see. Don't misunderstand your Bible. That is, it doesn't say the Father will be all in all, but it says God will be all in all. So the Trinity will be all in all in the eternal state. Those persons of the Godhead. I hope we don't forget the wonderful thought that God has let us see this. Now here's what I want you to notice. And this is most important. Just as soon as that wonderful revelation is given us, the writer goes on to tell us about the importance of our conduct. And he, he, yes, he says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. And evil communica communications corrupt good manners. So somebody, what's the idea? I want us to know this. This is the big thing that's in my heart tonight. I can't maybe get it over, but I'll do my best. That wherever you get these wonderful revelations of future events, they're not just merely to tell us about the future. You say, what are they for? They're meant to be lessons for us to learn to know how to live in the present. And when we think of the eternal day and we think of, of the everlasting ages, that should enable us to wake up unto righteous living and at the same time to have that a feeling in our hearts that all is coming to an end and all is about to be uh, dissolved as we'll see in a second or two. And you see, what I'm trying to get at is this. Drop that subject without bringing in a practical import from it. You see, one of the problems we have now in public ministry, I, I don't want to be critical for the older men could speak far better than I could, as you all know, but I'm annoyed at them sometimes. They give you beautiful ministry on the person of Christ, on the wonders of prophecy, and there's not one practical application when it's over. That's contrary to your Bible. When your Bible gives you these wonderful revelations, they're not for your entertainment. They're not for your intellectual expansion. They're meant to have practical effects upon your life and conduct. And when I tiptoeing through the world, and I realize that it's going to be one day, it's going to be the scene of perfect righteous rule, and so on, that should enable me to walk softly and to behave myself wisely and to fit in with God's great program for the earth, that I'll be a subject to, I'll be a subject to him now, as the earth will be in that coming day. <clears throat> there are two passages that are closely linked, I suppose you men have all put them together. And that is the one that we'll be speaking from now to almost the end of the meeting upon, the one in Peter. And then we will uh, just glance in a, for a second in our minds to the 21st chapter of Revelation. I don't need to quote these verses, you all know right well. What I wanted to show you is this, and I hope I'm clear enough on it, there are three writers, three apostles, and they all take us into the eternal state. In the passage I've just mentioned, Paul takes us into the eternal state in the resurrection chapter. And then in Revelation chapter 21, God again takes us into the eternal state. And then in Peter, God t uh, takes us again into the eternal state. So that of the three apostles that are famous in the New Testament for writing, they each have, as it were, a paragraph in their writings relative to the eternal state. That is, to that time when no changes will follow that's revealed, that are revealed. Now, when we come to the Peter passage, we notice that he is dealing with those who would upset the saints with false teaching. But he's very particular to bring to their notice the fact that God has a program. 
And that God's will is involved in all this. That this is not just going to happen and uh, nobody knows what will take place. The apostle has no doubt in his mind that God has a future program. And he speaks of the day of the Lord. Now you say, what day is that? Uh, What day is that? Now it's not a 24-hour day. Don't please, don't think that. But he speaks of the day of the Lord. It's in contrast to man's day. This is man's day. This is the day when men say, I wear it, I wear it. It's whatever men say. But then there will come a day when the Lord will have his full say. His full say. And he will be Lord of all. Now that's that kingdom that I've been speaking about. He'll be not only Lord, but he'll be monarch as well. And he will control the whole earth. And he will be in charge of all that. Now Peter can see that. The day of the Lord will come. And that, of course, has specially to do with the putting down of his opponents and the removing of all that's defiling. The Lord's domineering power will be manifest at that time. And then he goes on a step further. And he speaks of the time when the earth will be dissolved with fervent heat. And the works that are therein shall be burnt up. My, oh, you think of those beautiful buildings. You think of all those towers. And you think of all those mansions. And you think of all those millions that have been put into bridges and, and architecture and so on. I wonder many of us believe our Bible. Every bit of it ready for the fire. In God's great councils, that's going to all be destroyed. And the same God who swept the earth clean with the waters of the deluge will clean the earth with the flames of judgment in a coming day. Now I know that some of our dear brethren, they believe the whole ball will be dissolved. As you know, I don't think that. Any more than the deluge dissolved the ball whenever it was covered with water. You all know the way that we connect that. In the Old Testament, there were two ways of cleansing, of cleansing vessels. One was you could wash certain vessels in water. Or certain things could be washed in water. And then you could also, certain metal vessels could be cleansed in fire. So that God is going to use those two cleansing, uh, we might say, uh, cleansing uh, matter. He's going to have it in that twofold way. Already, he cleansed the earth with water. And coming in a coming day, he's going to clean it with fire and going to burn it up into ashes. I hope we realize this. Well, so somebody, that would stagger me. I don't know. If we keep sick or two, I wouldn't like to see they would be destroyed. And I've left a masterpiece or two behind me, you say, and I wouldn't like they would be destroyed. And I have, I have, an, I have a nice wee home. I hope it'll still be here in a thousand years. It will not be. You needn't worry yourself. And it, you needn't think of anything you possess. That old car of yours will not even count, no matter how good it is. You needn't worry. These things. Now, you, you, this is very humiliating now. Now, wonder can we get a hold of it tonight? Did you notice that when Peter has all those big statements made, that he comes in with a threefold exhortation, keeping to the principle that I pointed out, that prophecy is not given to let us see what's going to happen in the future, but prophecy is given for our present benefit, for our education now. And so the, uh, uh, Peter says, now, seeing you know these things, I see and you know these things. He says, you beware. And he says, be diligent. And he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what Peter is trying to see, seeing all this is going to melt, and we don't need it overoccupied. Now, don't you forget, I'm not a mental case, and you needn't be thinking that I don't expect you to mind your work, and I hope if you have a job, you're thankful for it, because when I was a boy, it was very difficult to get a job, maybe not too easy yet, but more difficult in those early 30s, to get a job than it is now. Some of you older men might, I don't suppose you maybe think much about it now, but mind, it wasn't easy getting a job. You've been prepared to work for almost nothing just for the sake of getting work. But don't get too excited. Don't get too excited. Now, you likely get your food. And in the mercy of God, you likely get uh, drink and you get what you need. And the Lord has been good to us and we get our clothing. 
And we have a home and a shelter above our heads. I often give him thanks for a home above my head. I hope you do. And we thank him for our clothing. And we thank him for the food that we eat. We bow and thank him as we take our food from time to time. We do that. That's our living God who's looking after us in the meanwhile. But we don't want us to get to see that the earth is something wonderful. Supposing I was wheeling into you a hundred or a thousand million, not a billion, and I was rolling it into you tonight, and you'd say, man, that's not will keep me going. I not need the pension now, and I not care what happens to me now. You see, dear soul, I would really wouldn't have given you very much. I would not. You have treasures and I have treasures. Look, see, that you can't put into money. And you can't put them up to price. I hope we value them. Because the greatest of men, whenever they come to the end, have to say goodbye to it all and sometimes have a headache, not only for themselves but for those to whom they've left it because they can't agree as to how to distribute it. You see, dear soul, God would have us as his people to realize these things are not so important. Not so important. See, many a man nearly couldn't sleep for hours, maybe because maybe he'd be corn in the field or something that somebody was maybe taking off him and he was thought it was going to be a terrible loss if he, if he let it go. And many a man has had all kinds of worries in his mind. Oh dear, that man, that man, that man, he, he, he was too fly for me. And oh, don't you worry, dear child of God. You're a different creature altogether. You have something far beyond all that. Like he never touched that thing that's really valuable. Mother of crafty is he not rob you of it. You'll have it when you have nothing else. And you'll be able to say, yes, thank God, might the nest hangs in no forest of all this death doom shore. It will mean that when you maybe look at somebody a wee bit better circumstance than you, you'll not be jealous. You'll be very happy to let them have it. Not worried about it. And you maybe it will mean that if, if somebody else has advanced in, in, in their job away beyond you and have left you sitting, as it were, in a menial task, well, don't get worried about it. Don't get worried. They can only eat a, a meal at a time. Maybe they can only eat a one. They have to quit. And they can only wear enough clothes that they can't wear everything because I don't know how they get it all out of the wardrobes at all. But they just they can change it over. But they can't, they can't wear everything. And you don't need to get excited about all these earthly things that give people so many headaches. This is what I want us to get it past. I wonder when we'll waken up and be diligent. That word diligence is rather interesting because it's a sort of a, the idea of making haste. And you say, well, what's that? That is to say, there's the, the, the things that we go in for, we, 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 we go in with haste to them, as it were, and we appreciate them because they're things that are going to last for eternity. Then again, Peter is given all this wonderful revelation of the future and the day of God, that is the day of eternity, as I've tried to point out from 1 Corinthians 15 and other passages. He's bringing that all out. And then again, now will you listen carefully? You'd wonder how he'd finish an epistle like that. But he says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. What does he want us to do? He wants us not merely to learn these prophetic wonders of the future and this great future of the earth, but in doing that, to get to know more of our blessed Lord. Now, I know that there's a great despising of knowledge, and if not a light type of earthly knowledge, we're not worrying about it. I don't make little of it. I, 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 I remember Mr. Gilmer saying a thing, and maybe you never heard him at it, so you don't remember the man. He said there are some people say that a little knowledge is dangerous. But he says what they should say is a little learning is dangerous. He says all knowledge is very precious. Now hope dear school, no dear soul. Now you're on earth now, I don't know how long you're saved. I hope you have grown in your knowledge of Christ. Now you got to know him the moment you got saved. Now I want to help you young Christians. These older men know what I'm at. And you got to know him and you put your trust in him for your soul. Can you trust him in other circumstances? Can you trust him as the days go by? 
Will you be able to truthfully say, there no stranger God shall meet me? If I were wanting to develop knowledge of any sort, as you know, I'm past that now, or practically past it, I would say the only knowledge that's really worth is the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Christ. Acquaintance with the Almighty. That's something to your soul that's very precious. And that's why God has opened up. Now, I hope you're clear on this now. God has opened up all these programs to us. He could have carried on with his program and never said to us he was doing it. Now, listen carefully. He could have done all this without telling us. He could have had this whole plan for the earth and so on, what he'd do with it and the changes that he'd bring to it. He never let on to us. But he didn't do that. He has told us. And he's told us for the great purpose that he'd want that to influence our way of living and the way of thinking and influence our mind. It would, he'd want that to control our thinking so that when we take a look at prophetic trouble, now, the prophetic truths, I haven't said much in these meetings about them, but the day will come when we will, uh, when you maybe will hear some of those great teachers giving you outlines of prophetic ministry and so on, who really know the subject well, I hope they do, some of them don't be, don't be as well knowledge, don't have the knowledge that I think they should have, but of course I'm not a judge, uh, and I don't like all the things to say, but when they have it all done, don't you be listening to it just as a matter of information. You get to see now that's meant to that's meant to teach me a lesson. That's meant to bring to me a truth that's valuable in my practical Christianity. The Bible gives you prophetic futures, but always a practical application of those wonders are brought out along with it. So that our little meeting's over as the time is gone. I hope you'll not forget this. We have gone through now the week was over. Some of you weren't here in the early part, it's a pity you missed it. <laughs> Maybe you don't think so, but I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad that some came, and uh, we we spent a night on uh, the the will of God uh, in in different uh, in different aspects. We thought of it personally as an individual, and then we thought of it in our public life, and then we thought of it in assembly activity or in the work of God. We, 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 we thought of those things. And then we, we, we went into a, a different line last night and tonight. We've looked at things a wee bit different. Now look, dear friend, God has a mind. You try and learn it. And you see along with the Almighty and fit into his way of thinking. Now learn your best. It'll help to keep your mind humble. It'll help to keep you lowly. It'll help to make you easily done, live with, and so on, because your mind will become mature in the things of God. And as you develop in your thinking and get to know His will, you can then sing with a reality maybe you have never done before. I bow me to thy will, O God, and all thy ways adore, and every day I'd live, I'd seek to please thee more and more. You know, it would be a great day for you, dear young Christians. Take a look at it. When you land in glory, and you see all these, this program that I have referred to in a very brief way tonight, you see it all fulfilled. You say, isn't it great? Isn't it great that God not only made his plans, but he has power to carry them out, and not one of them failed. I hope and trust, dear soul, that you have entered into it and measured in your own understanding, so that it will affect your present life, and enable you to live for his glory until we see that blessed face, shall we pray.